Well, good morning. We're catching up here. Happy Father's Day to fathers and others. Anybody who is a father or has a father, that would cover all of us to some extent, right? It's good to be together. That was a joke. Let me encourage you, doing the best I can here, team. Our call to worship this morning, uh, that we begin to focus our thoughts and minds, is from the book of Psalms, and it's a responsive reading. So as I begin, you enter in and let us direct our hearts in this way. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those He redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those He gathered from all the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks for the Lord, to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. For He satisfies the thirsty and He fills the hungry with good things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our opening hymn of worship and praise this morning is number 551, All Creatures of Our God and King. Let's go ahead and stand as we're able and give God the praise.
Have a seat if you would, please. Well, greetings. It's always a joy for me to welcome those of you who've been able to join us here on site. We gather with one heart, one voice, expressing our praise to God, receiving the fullness of his grace. Uh, as we are able to have others join us by way of live stream and our recorded service. Thankful again for that opportunity for people who aren't able to make it yet to enter in and be a part of what God is doing here. We're in this together, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, this is a particular holiday I tried earlier, but happy Father's Day. Uh, take a, a moment through the course of your day uh, with thankful prayer, gratitude, even forgiveness, but for those who are fathers and all of us who have had fathers, uh, how we meet and see and grow in that relationship. Uh, so we celebrate that day. Another thing we're celebrating this morning is communion. You'll see the table set. Um, it's a time uh, that we ask those at home to gather the elements where you are and uh, prepare for that moment. Um, this is a time when we stop as a community and remind ourselves and even bear witness to the world that we are not our own, but we belong to a great and good God, our Father in heaven. We'll work on that in the sermon. Uh, so we come to admit our need and to receive God's gifts. Uh, we welcome children. I encourage folks to navigate that as families, parents, grandparents, caregivers, whatever shape that takes. And come and we join this journey together. Now, after the service, there'll be coffee and some refreshments. And then about 10.30, I usually, in classroom number one in the basement, gather there for an opportunity to interact, kind of question and answer things. Uh, your chance to help me uh, hear what you're wrestling with, help you connect with a better way to say things, whatever it may be. So it's all good. That'll be today. Now, next Sunday... I will not be here. Uh, Corey Plockmeyer, a CRC pastor who is the executive director of Michigan, um, West Michigan Movement, will be here in preaching. He's been here before. I will be in Muskegon at this time, actually officiating at the closing service of New Heart Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a congregation and the denomination in which I'm ordained. And so I'll be, in a sense, finishing their season of ministry. Uh, and be a part of that. I trust you into Corey's hands. Now, the week after that, and we have a slide on this, will be July 2nd, and on that Sunday morning, if you come here at 9 o'clock, we will be glad to see you, but there will be nobody here. July 2nd, the 4th of July holiday, we'll have a service all hard awake outdoors. We've started doing this on some of these major holidays and enjoy that time together. Um, the service will be at 9.30, not 10 o'clock because of the heat in the middle of the summer. We go a little bit early and I'll be preaching. Not that that's a reason to stay home, <laughs> but we'll be gathering on July the 2nd at 9.30. A um, couple of things that have gone on this week. We have students heading off to Roseland. Uh, very thankful for our student ministry, High Tide. We'll take uh, a team of our high school students to work with the CRC Church uh, in their Chicagoland area. Glad to keep investing and training. Um, Saturday morning, uh, Heart of Wyke Outdoors. Uh, Darwin Glassford led a team to the Appalachian Trail where they'll be spending about a week together hiking, 
seeing God's great creation, but also reflecting on that, what that means for our lives. Um, I'm waiting for the Hardaway Hilton team to head off. That's the one I'll lead, but Darwin loves to be on the Appalachian Trail. I understand Monday night our Honduras mission team will be back from their time investing uh, there in Honduras through Abundant Life School and our ministries there. Uh, tomorrow, if you're not working and have time, 10 a.m. at the beach, time to gather for coffee and fellowship. And then something I hadn't realized until after I was about done with the service, later in the week, what is it, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the organ encounter, there'll be a, a chance uh, our facility will be used by a group of folks who are helping others learn to play the king of all instruments, the organ. So we get to invest into lives that way and cultivate uh, that part of the music life of uh, our congregation, our community. So a lot of things happening. Check the celebration in form. We try to keep that up to speed, the bulletin, all the different ways to, to be in touch and aware and praying. Lots of good news. Um, we are also connected to something as a worshiping congregation bigger than my self-expression or your self-expression. We're a part of something much bigger than us. And one way I like to embody that for us is to use a centuries-old catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism. It means a lot in the CRC. Um, and so there's a teaching in it in the Lord's Prayer. We're using that as I preach through the Lord's Prayer, and it'll go this way. It's question number 121, and it begins with this question. Why do we pray the words in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty as something earthly and to expect everything needed for body and soul from God's almighty power. As you're able, hymn number 899, a reflection on the uh, Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Amen, and have a seat if you would. 
as we turn to the Lord in prayer. I'm reminded of an insight that Tim Keller helped me grasp, that the catechisms, the scriptures are statements that help us know where to hear God and how to live. Part of what a catechism does is not only instruct us in what the community of faith has believed across centuries, but also to help us uh, kind of stand in contrast to what the world might be presenting as distraction. So you have catechism, and you'd almost call it counter-catechism. And our ability to know where God is calling us and where the world is influencing us is the interface called discernment. One of the things we learn by singing, seek ye first the kingdom of God, is this, that seeking first self-expression will not lead to fullness of life. Part of our message to the world is that you are not the center of it. I am not the center of it. God is. But as we seek first him and his kingdom is revealed to us in the person of Jesus, made known in the scriptures, that our lives take on a different relationship and a different movement. And that's where the fullness of life comes from. Not in being centered on self, but on placing self in relationship to the living God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have created a universe that's grander than we could ever have imagined. That each day that we learn more about it, in a sense, it doesn't simply push out the boundaries of our knowledge of the universe, but it extends the wonder of your grandeur and grace. So help us to see that in this universe, you are at the center. And as we learn to live our lives in relationship with you, we begin to flourish as you have intended. Help center our lives that just as Jesus taught and as we have sung, we might seek first your kingdom, trusting that you will then add everything else we need in your way and in your shape and form. Father, we thank you for your good work on this planet as you redeem it and call it to fullness. We pray for Watershed, our sister worshiping community, if you will, and for Pastor Aaron, who'll be preaching this day, for Fusion just across the hall, and Pastor JB and the, the folks that gather there. And here, we're in just a few hours, Mission will gather. And Pastor Florencia will proclaim your grace in the Spanish language. Thank you that the kingdom you've called to us is bigger than ourselves. It reaches back through history, it reaches across through all cultures, and it is headed towards the new heaven and the new earth, the fullness of your grace and greatness. Father, you've called us to be a, a part of a particular community, particular relationships, and that celebration. You've bound us together. Thank you that we find a great unity in the person of Jesus Christ revealed in the scriptures. We live out his life as he pours that into us by the Holy Spirit. In that life, make us a welcoming body. In that life, make us a caring body. In that life, make us a humble body.
Give us a kindness and gentleness and a self-control that the Scripture says are part of the fruit of your Spirit. Make us most of all, and we pray this for the summer in particular, make us a people who pray for one another, for our world, for ourselves in relationship with you. I'm going to encourage you, I'll give you just a brief moment of silence to lift to the Lord uh, anything you may have brought with you, the, the challenge of your own heart, the needs in your circle of relationships, the hopes of the world. Thank you, Father, that you can handle a hundred or more specific prayers in this moment. Hear the heart cries of your people. Father in heaven, we thank you that even as you are a sovereign God who makes himself known as a true and perfect heavenly Father, so you have divided and delegated your sovereign authority into spheres of influence in our world. And so we, we pray week by week for authorities. We pray that they might uh, understand their placement and their calling, that they might serve for the benefit of uh, those that they uh, rule over, as it were. This week in our rotation, we pray for local government and for agencies right here, for Holland City, Park and Holland Townships, for Ottawa County, the various uh, administrative boards and departments that implement the local um, laws and purpose uh, of your kingdom. We pray for those who are first responders, whether emergency medical or law enforcement. We thank you that you would bring a, an order to life in our community that is the rule of law for all, that is equal justice before the law, and that cultivates flourishing and the fullness of your purpose. We pray for the school boards now on summer break, but preparing for an upcoming school year for the teachers, the administrators, that they might be positive impact, influences on the students that they have charge over. Father, we thank you that the gospel of your grace is for all people. And so this morning, as we pray for a Hardwick missionary couple, even as I recognize that we cannot mention J and B's name or the country where they serve, we thank you that you have opened a door so that they're invited there, and in the course of their service and invitation, uh, they get to share the good news of the gospel. Extend your kingdom, both above ground and underground, as it were, that there might be uh, peace on the planet. Father, I, in particular, and I write about this and talk about this, but I thank you for the holiday, the Juneteenth is particularly has meaning for all believers. As I first learned about it, good news will not rest until everyone has heard. We thank you that the good news of the gospel for all people will not rest until it's heard by everyone. But we pray too that the good news of life might reach into uh, troubled hearts, broken situations, fearful, uh, broken places and bring life. Use your people as instruments of your grace. 
I would take a point of personal privilege and just ask you to join with me and pray for my friend, Dr. Raymond Franklin and his church, the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in Alexandria, Louisiana. May your grace and anointing move among our sisters and brothers there in that congregation. Bind your people together in the fullness of your grace. Thank you that you have redeemed us by one blood and that we live together in the hope of the gospel, praying just as Jesus taught us to pray, using these words, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Our summer series we're calling Teach Us to Pray, and it's been a chance to kind of dig into what we know and have probably memorized as the Lord's Prayer, uh, laid out in two different parts of the New Testament, but always from the words, the mouth of Jesus. It's intriguing to me, I've become more convinced than ever, that this is the outline that Jesus himself used. He said, when you pray, pray this way, not because it's what he wants us to do, but because it's what he does. This prayer is not, it's, a, it, it's not a mantra, but it's a model. It's an outline that we build on. And so we've been looking at phrase by phrase uh, and digging into that, uh, giving you resources and opportunities. The scripture for this morning, I'm going to go back to Matthew. So this will be Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And as we saw last week, he begins this section of the Sermon on the Mount with a thesis, and I'll include that in the reading. Then he's got three illustrations. The second one is about praying. So the thesis is applied to prayer and the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to ask if you'll uh, join me and out of respect stand as we uh, read and listen to the reading of the Word for this morning. This is from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. It's the thesis of Jesus. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He then gives an illustration about giving alms that I'm going to move past. And I'll pick up at illustration number 2, applying that thesis to prayer. And he starts with an application from a negative perspective, the do not here. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Do not be like them because your Father knows what you need even before you ask them. And now, a second application from a positive perspective. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat if you would and we'll pray. Father, uh, thank you 
that you have loved us so deeply that you condescended from your majesty that God the Son might actually take on flesh and walk among us. And that there was a day on a particular calendar in a particular location where God the Son in the flesh spoke. And it seems that Matthew would have likely been there and carefully remembered it, pondered it, years later written it down. And then in amazing ways, you have remarkably preserved these texts so that now we can, as it were, unroll the scroll. It's been translated. Uh, we can read and meditate. We can study with others. We can prayerfully ask, Lord, speak to us, for you have made promises about meeting us in your word. Father, I pray this day that you would shape us through what Jesus taught that day, that our lives would be different, not simply because we want it, but because that's what you are doing, and that's what we want to want. Father, guard your people from my confusion and brokenness. Instead, make yourself known. Thank you for the wonder of your glory. For we pray in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. I, I was struck before I jump in. You might have been taken. That's the New International Version translation of that Matthew 6, and it ends, but deliver us from the evil one. It's interesting. We often pray, deliver us from evil, as if evil were an impersonal force. And here it's translated evil one, as if it's a personal force. Now, if you dig into the Greek and parse all the words, you know which one it is? Both. It's one of those places where the Greek has an openness that's hard to communicate in English. And so we recognize that evil is both a force that's beyond us, but also personal in its way it impacts us. And so it's wise to pray both ways, deliver us both from evil and from an evil one who would seek to do us harm. Well, we've talked about how Jesus prayed and he teaches us to pray like him using the words, our father. Our father puts us in a particular posture, in a context. We're part of a community. And we pray to a God who says, though I may be sovereign, you can know me best with the metaphor father. And that's not because our fathers are perfect representatives of who God is, and we just project them. No, it's because God in his grace has condescended to take broken people like me and like other fathers and say, I'll give people a pointer towards something greater. Last week, and I had a number of people talk with me through the week, last week I encouraged you in something I've done often in counseling. If you have an earthly father, you also have a heavenly father by grace, it's always important not simply to look at your heavenly father through your earthly father, but instead to get to know the heavenly father and you'll see your earthly father different. It's a matter of perspective, and that's important for us to say. But Jesus digs in a little deeper here. It's as if he asked the question for us, which father? And then he answers it by saying, our father in heaven, that one. 
And it's as if at this point, Jesus wants to make very clear that when we pray, we don't simply pray to generic spirituality or to deity as we know and understand and feel comfortable. We are praying to a particular God, a particular deity. He has character. There are things that are not part of his character. To know his identity with clarity is part of our journey to be able to avoid things that are not his character. That's part of our journey. There's a variety of options out there. I've mentioned this before. You can take in the United States right now almost any belief that you choose to have, and you can find a church that will reinforce that belief. Our goal here instead is to try to connect with who God is, hear his voice, read the scripture, join with the community, and let that shape us. When we pray our Father in heaven, we're praying to a particular deity, one who's not of our making. Oh, I understand him for better or for worse, completely, uh, incompletely, incomplete. I mean, it's a real human thing, but the first thing I need to remember is that the true God is not of my making. And this, our Father in heaven, reminds us that he is both good, like the true and perfect Father ought to be, and he is both great. And where there seems to be a conflict between God's goodness and his greatness, which one wins out? Well, they both stand. God is bigger than us. And so that's why it's so critical for us that we be continue to be open to these ever-expanding sense of who God is as revealed in the Scripture. Uh, Pastor Aaron found for us a fascinating quote by the scientist and, and media personality, I guess you'd call him, Carl Sagan, who at one point in the course of his lectures and stuff, you may remember him with um, Cosmos. At one point he said something to the effect, my universe is too big for your God. And you know what? There's a sense in which that is quite right, because often churches and church people construct a God that they can control and who meets their need. And if the universe doesn't fit that God, there's a conflict. What I want to suggest we ought to look at and see is that the more we learn about the universe— the more we can see the majesty and greatness of God. It's about which comes first. It's about how do you see these things. Actually, when I read the scripture, when I read the Psalms, when I see the worship of God's people through the centuries, he's bigger than the universe, even as it expands in my understanding. Isn't that amazing? Part of what I hope you begin to see when we pray our Father in heaven is that the God we pray to, that we encounter in prayer, is bigger, he's gooder, he's greater than anything I could project or imagine. Let God expand your experience and understanding in light of his word. See, that's why we are thankful that God himself has made himself known, self-revealed. 
He didn't leave us to figure out who he was, to kind of choose what we like or what we don't. You've heard me use the term cafeteria Christianity. Well, I like this kind of God, but not that kind, so I'm going to the dessert table. No, instead, God makes himself known that that's an ongoing active process that he leads us in, the Spirit speaking through the Word. As a Presbyterian in training and background, I love the language of the Westminster Confession, that the final authority is the Spirit speaking through the Scriptures. That's because we've recognized that if you read the Bible like a Pharisee, you will not get to know God. The Pharisees read the Bible, and when Jesus showed up, they missed him. We all need to be humble and aware that what we need to hear is the Spirit speaking through the Scripture that he might shape our lives. So which Father? Our in-heaven Father, that one. And heaven here is not simply a location. The phrase in heaven speaks of God's greatness and grandeur. It's not as if you could plug in a destination on your GPS and say, okay, time to pray. Let's go to that place where God is. No, God is bigger than the imminent earthly frame. God is majestic in grace. It's, it's as if, and I've tried to use some metaphors here, it's as if you and I exist in two dimensions, but we pray to a Father who exists in three. Do you hear how that's bigger? That you and I live in a, a black and white world, but our Father adopts us into a world of living color. It's just something categorically different and more wonderful. Now, these are all metaphors, and at some point they break down. But the God we meet when praying like Jesus is, first of all, beyond us. He's the Father in heaven dimensions. This would be a place in a systematic theology class that you'd begin to talk about the omni-God, omnipresent, everywhere at all times, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful. He is all those things. And we need to keep that in mind when we pray to our in-heaven Father. The Father who is in heaven is a particular God. He's not simply a figment of our imagination. Oh, we often worship and pray to figments of our imagination. That happens. But God, by His grace, the Spirit speaking through the Word, will continue to disrupt those figments that we might know the God who is. It started almost a century ago, as clearly pointed out, Sigmund Freud, particularly in his book, Totem and Taboo and Future of an Illusion. He would talk about how humans have a deep desire for safety and security, so they project the dead they know who may have provided that. They project him onto divine portions, and that's all God is, an illusion that's a projection of the human heart. Friends, Jesus is talking about something absolutely different. The God who is shaped by our own fears or desires or accomplishments or pride, that's not the God we are praying to. We are praying to a God who has revealed himself with a particular character and a particular purpose. We need to learn that discernment. Otherwise, if we're just praying to our own projected need, we'll never pray with power and grace. If we're just praying for our own desires, our sense of security or yearning, 
Prayer that's shaped by our whatever is something different. The prayer that Jesus prays and that he's calling us to pray with him always begins by understanding God is at work and we join him. Now, it happens truly enough that we begin to just worship a projection of ourselves. I've had kind of a disorienting week. I'm going to have to spend some time integrating some of these things. I've watched two short documentaries, one shiny, happy people about the, uh, the group with um, Bill Gothard, the IBLP, the other with the collapse of Hillsong, the church in New York, and then um, Australia. Part of what you see there is people, churches built around an expression of the self. And boy, is the end of it ever painful and broken and ugly. And if you simply pray to your own desires and maybe put a Bible verse attached to a couple of them, you'll be praying in a different way than Jesus prayed and then he calls us to. Our prayer shouldn't be shaped by who we are. And here's the word, friends, when that happens, because we all struggle with it to some extent, let's not build a new organization. Let's repent. Let's let God make himself known to us and expand and, and draw our sense of who he is in, in truth and reality. You know, I pray not because it works, but because it's true because it brings me close to the one who is truth and who loves me. Friends, we come to this from a broken place. And so part of the journey of prayer is gonna be learning, oh, I was a little off target there. God wants to reorient and redirect my prayer. When we find ourselves praying to our own projection, we need to repent. For God is more than a figment of our imagination. John Calvin, a historic figure who's been a mentor for me, makes this fascinating statement that human nature or the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. That there's something within me that wants to look at the world and make it about me. I included a blog post this week that built the larger context of that. I want to encourage you to it. Friends, let me say something. I, I often talk about how every human you will ever meet will be both an image bearer to be treated with care, respect, and hope, and also broken, that that's part of the givenness of our human world. Well, let me take a moment and focus on this brokenness, because that's what Calvin is talking about from the Scripture, that there's something within us that keeps going the wrong way. By broken, I do not mean worthless and without value. Do you hear me on that? When I talk about me being a broken person, I don't mean that I'm worthless and without value to be discarded. And when I encourage you to grapple with the reality that there's something broken in your motivations and in your heart, it doesn't make you worthless or worthy to be dis discarded. It means that there's something not working and you're not capable of functioning, functioning to your full and intended potential. Here's a concrete illustration that came to me this week. Imagine a Ford five-liter V8 motor. It's a thing of beauty, at least to people who like big cars. But imagine that piece of machinery. It's meant to run and to give power and to move. But if I were to take one spark plug wire and take it off, 
so that there are only seven cylinders working now, what would happen? It would not work. It would be a thing of beauty. It would still have great potential, but there's something about it now that's not quite right, not quite fully flourishing. And that's what I mean, that there's something within each of us waiting for repair, waiting for rescue. That's what redemption is. When I pray, our in heaven Father, I'm recognizing that God is who He is and that I want to conform my life to Him. I want to know who God is and what He's like and what He's not like so I can avoid that. And I'm thankful that He will be at work to make that happen. See, part of what we're praying when we pray our in heaven Father is that we're asking to begin identifying the idols of our heart. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but the idols of our heart are when we take good things like God's creation, like the love we experience in a healthy family, like the joy we have in a relationship, when we take those things and make them the ultimate. Remember we sang, seek ye first the kingdom of God? If you really want to enjoy your family, don't make it the first thing in your life. Make God the first thing in your life. And family will find its place and its way in God's order. If you really want to have a healthy marriage, don't make your marriage first. Make the kingdom of God first. If we want to have a healthy country, don't make country first. Let God be king in his kingdom. Let other things fall into place as he would call us to that. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, challenges three particular idols that he saw in his congregation in New York City, money, sex, and power. All of those need to function well, but when you take them and make them your ultimate goal in life, your life will fall apart. He talked about in that book, the if-only test. This is just for your own consideration. But I know I've taken it to heart, and when I find myself, I could be happy if only. I need to suspect whatever follows if only may well be an idol. I could be happy if only my wife were like that, or my children were like this, or I had that kind of job, or this kind of car, or this kind of whatever. I could be happy if only. Ask yourself if whatever follows that statement in your heart could that be an idol? Could your life flourish more by moving it to second or third or fourth or fifth and putting God at the very center of that issue? Let me give you a concrete example. It's a word to graduates. There's a lot of graduating going on. I was watching the evening news and they had 11 different clips from graduation speeches. And you know what struck me? Eight of those 11 people speaking were entertainers, media personalities. Boy, doesn't that tell you something about what it means to graduate in the United States right now? Interesting, but a word to graduates. Your future is not so much about what you want to do or to become. It's better to think, what is the Father in heaven calling you to in the next step in your journey? See, friends, it's not about self-fulfillment. It's about calling. It's about a, a, a different vantage point, a God who is Father and who loves you, who would lay aside His glory in His Son and come and rescue us. That, as the 
vantage point for your life will bring hope and joy and sadness and change and adventure and everything. So it's about calling more than self-fulfillment. I hear people talk about a friend or a family in a romantic relationship. He makes her happy. Well, let me go on record as saying I'm not opposed to happiness. But here it comes. My happiness in the moment may not be a helpful indicator of what is best for me or others in the long haul. You see, it's about having a life that's ordered. We need to be able to identify the idols of our heart. And here's one that caused me to stop. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Expect in a life of authentic prayer that the living God may stop you up short and say, this needs to change. My grace is the strength for that. Do you receive that as love or does that feel like shaming and, and brokenness? Because you see, it's easy to hear the word repent and think, oh, I failed, I'm shamed. Are you not going to let you shame me? No, I've begun to see repentance as the invitation to more fullness, closer fullness, more flourishing. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. So friends, when we pray, our in heaven Father, we want to be letting God shape us and shape our prayer. It will come to be a, a divine dimension as our experience of God, and by that I mean our knowledge, our practice, the mental metaphors by which we try to connect the spiritual hearing where our hearts connect with truth. As our experience of God grows, as we get shaped by the true God in heaven, Father, we'll see that our prayers are changed and energized in new ways, how we pray in our real life. There's a divine dimension. We're praying into a bigger reality, more than just the imminent world of physics and social forces and psychology. For our prayer deals not just with the flesh, but with spiritual strongholds. Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, 12. There's more to prayer than just getting our way on this earth. And I don't mean by that that we're living as if the unreal were real. No, we're living into God's reality and His will, not bound by the limits of our own understanding. There will be kingdom goals begin to surge forth in our prayer. Not my own advancement or security, but the kingdom of God's goodness. Wang Yi, the Calvinist pastor in China who's in prison, for proclaiming the gospel. When he prays to a father in heaven, he's praying to a God other than the Communist Party. At whatever cost, he's standing with truth. He's got kingdom goals. He's seeing a vision of what is to come, a kingdom of justice and kindness, of caring for others. We're called into that whether our culture affirms this or not. Letting God shape your prayer begins to move in a Holy Spirit a power. We, we see things that the world takes as a mountain, and in God's grace we see instead Him moving, opening a path, moving in a way. 
As I was working on his sermon this week, I was reminded of a person who I only spent three days with him in the flesh, but I'd listened to his tapes, I'd read his books, you've heard me mention him before, Millard Fuller. Now, Millard Fuller was from L.A., and by that I mean Lower Alabama. And if you ever heard him talk, you'd know just where he was from. And after being a self-made millionaire and his family collapsing, he and his wife packed up the kids and moved to a small, rural, uh, multi-ethnic church in Georgia. And the pastor there, Clarence Jordan, began to disciple Millard, began to learn how to pray to a father in heaven, not just his own projection for power and money. And he began to see the world differently. And I want to tell you, before Millard, nobody had ever thought about building houses for no profit, about arranging mortgages with no interest, about gathering volunteers who build for the sake of their community. But he could see something. He could see poverty community in the world. But our Father in heaven led him to something entirely different. One of the things about people who who dig into the life of prayer is they see the world different and that they can begin to live differently in the world that they have. And Millard was a great example for me with him. I remember walking with him in in our community. And it was a small southern town, Louisiana. And I remember crossing the tracks into the other side of the town and seeing rundown housing. And Millard would say, I think, Who owns that house? Let's get them to give it to us. And sure enough, he found who owned that house because it was part of the cycle of poverty rent. And the guy got a tax write-off, gave our chapter the house, and we began to rebuild those houses. Who'd ever thought you could rebuild a house for no profit? Well, Millard Fuller did. Whoever thought you could make it run on mortgages with no interest? Bank of America can't figure that out, but... God saw that from Millard Fuller, and the world is a different place. Church of Jesus Christ, I want to call you to pray to our Father in heaven. Because I know that if you'll connect with your Father in heaven, not just the projection of your own desires or needs, you're going to see things. He'll give dreams and visions and hope and power. And our world will be different. Some of the problems we look at that now look like mountains— The Spirit of God will say to his people, oh, here's what we can do with that. Oh, here's how you can make a difference. Don't send other people, you go. Our Father, the one who's in heaven, he's changing us and calling us. That's what it means to pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you that in your mercy, you have loved us deeply. And in that mercy, you have called us to new life, not living within the boundaries of our own abilities or fears or capabilities or finances, but living in response to your good work. So I pray you'd begin to move in the deep, quiet corners of our heart and life to give us hope and vision that we might pray our Father in heaven that hour, we would be a part of a community of grace, the Father, that there's something caring and protecting 
in who you are and all your majesty. But in heaven, you're the particular God who's made himself known in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that you've loved us. Help us to enter deeper into that, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen amen. As we prepare to sing, I want to read to you from the scriptures, Isaiah 57, 15. It's a transition to communion, communion here. This is Isaiah the prophet, and he, he inspired of God and writes this, for this is what the high and exalted one says, you know, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lonely, and to revive the heart of the contrite. We worship a majestic God, but from the very beginning, it's been his purpose and character to take on lowly form and to enter in and to meet us. What we will do here in a moment is connecting us to what Jesus did on the cross for us and for all humanity. The great and majestic God meets us in a simple way. When we stand as we sing together, we're just going to be two verses of when I survey the wondrous cross to a different uh, melody. Uh, but let's stand. When I survey the wondrous cross. Before we're seated, let's uh, recite together. It's question number 80 from the Heidelberg Catechism and a statement about communion. The meaning of the Lord's Supper is this. The Lord's Supper declares to us together that all our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of Father, where he wants us to worship him. Be seated, if you would, please. It was on the night in which he was betrayed, Paul writes, that Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is now my body, which is broken for you. He took the bread of what had been a centuries-old practice, the Passover meal, 
And what the bread was pointing to, he now takes and says, I'm what it was pointing to. It's about me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And again, they'd been doing this for centuries. As best we're able to tell, this was the place where the, the head of household would have told the story of the Passover lamb, how the blood on the doorpost meant that the angel of death passed over for a family. And after giving thanks, Jesus then said, this cup is a new covenant made not in the temporary blood of the Lamb, but in the true and perfect blood of the Messiah. This is for you. And whenever you drink it, whenever you eat the bread, you do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because it's his death that pays the penalty for sin and opens the gates of resurrection hope joy. With that in mind, I invite you to come forward in a moment to receive. We'll uh, take the bread as it's cut up for us and dip uh, lightly into the communion and receive it. These simple outward expressions of an inward deep truth, a work of the Holy Spirit, a work that takes the covenant grace of Jesus from the cross and the power that raised him and places it in our hearts and minds to live in new and different ways. We come acknowledging that we cannot save ourselves, but there is one who gave his life for us. So with that, I invite you, if that's the expression of your heart, come. Regardless of where your church membership is or what you struggled with this week, if you want to come to the cross, to receive what Jesus is offering. This is your moment. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that you have loved us and that you've entered in uh, to our limits, that you might take upon yourself the consequences, the impact of our brokenness, not that we're uh, to be discarded, but that we're to be rescued. And so, thank you that centuries ago, you made this promise that where your people gather in faith and take this bread and take this cup, there you will be in the midst of us. So, take this, which is very simple, which the world only sees as a bread and juice, and by your grace and our faith responding to that grace, meet us. Take us the next step in our journey, whether that's repentance or faith or um, calling someone or doing something, we give you freedom to lead and to guide us wherever that be, might be. Father, thank you for all that you offer to us here. We receive your grace through the faith you've given to us. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus together and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask those who will be distributing the elements if they would join me here at the front. We'll need good two couples. And as they get settled, we'll ask that you come down the center aisle and then take the bread and dip it lightly into the cup and head back. Oop, you want a cup, not a, not a jug. You know, we're just people.
Jesus would give his life for you. And he did. Come and receive. Thank you.
People of God, let's pray. Father, thank you that you're not just any father, but that you're the true and perfect, the, the Father in heaven, majestic beyond all our capability of understanding, but who has condescended to meet us and to love us and to rescue us and to give us a hope and a flourishing and through us to reach to a world that's often uh, feeling the consequences of its own fears. Help us to live out the peace that you've called us to, that even as you've called us and equipped us, we might go with a gentleness and a kindness, for your love is greater than any and all that the world might offer. Were the whole realm of nature mine, as big as that is, that's a present far too small because you are even bigger. Let's stand and sing to the glory of God as you're able. My fault, I missed a slide there, but it was beautiful. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. We've gathered as his people, just as we are. And the benediction from number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen and amen.